Welcome everyone to Vagina Talk Podcast. We are Dr. Alexis May Kimball and I am Dr. David Kimball. We're two double-boarded female pelvic reconstructive and cosmetic surgeons. This is the podcast where we have honest conversations and discuss important and often misunderstood topics. Our goal isn't just to answer taboo questions or probe into taboo-related issues, but it's really to promote healthy discussions. Hopefully that'll lead to healthier lifestyles. Hey, welcome everyone. Hi. This is Drs. Kimball and Kimball. We're here with our Vagina Talk podcast. We're continuing our surgical series of the podcast. As you may know, Vagina Talk is a podcast that we kind of developed together Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of touch upon some of the taboo topics and try to dispel some of the myths that are out there all related to the vagina and everything surrounding that. And we kind of extend out a little bit further because we want to talk about women's health in general, right? Yeah, women's health, women's wellness, women's bodies, and everything surrounding women and people who identify as female as well. So our last podcast, if you um, had listened in, was talking about prolapse. And it was more kind of a scientific discussion of prolapse. Today, we're actually honored to have Mary here with us today, who's a patient who actually had a fairly extended journey with prolapse and underwent surgery, and now she's near the end of her recovery phase. So let me turn it over to Mary and say thank you kindly for coming on this podcast. Well, you're most welcome. Uh, I first noticed the prolapse probably about 12 years ago. Um, and uh, kind of ignored it. Uh, You know, it was just a nuisance. Um, But it it slowly got a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And the protrusion was really the thing that I found most irritating. It sort of felt like um, a Tampax that had slipped, you know, that you needed to push back in. It was kind of like, it wasn't painful or uncomfortable, just sort of irritating to have it there. So uh, obviously I eventually talked to an OBGYN about it and the choices. <sighs> but uh, there's a pessary that you can use and I tried it once and it was awful. Um, it was hard getting it in and you know, impossible to get it out you know it felt as if you were ripping your innards out trying to get it out so I abandoned that after one try (laughs) right um and so just went for the vaginal cream to try to keep the tissues in decent shape but of course that doesn't deal with the prolapse I mean that just keeps going and as you age it just muscles I guess get a little uh less flexible, a little less powerful or whatever. So the prolapse just kept going. And eventually it got, about a year ago, it suddenly got to the point where it was kind of, wait a minute, how far is this going to lapse? I mean, is it going to really dangle badly? I don't know. (laughs) So it really was time to take action. Uh, maybe three years ago, the OBGYN routed me to a surgeon and he said, oh, it wasn't bad enough to do surgery at that point. But when I saw the OBGYN last year, she said, ah, time to deal with it. And that's when I got referred to Dr. Kimball. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So um, 
so for me, you know, although clearly um, what Dr. Kimmel does ties to a lot of urinary issues that people have because of a prolapse. Um, yeah, I mean, there was sort of urinary things in terms of if I was out and about town and suddenly said, ooh, time to pee, it was kind of like, there's very little leeway. You had better get somewhere now. Mm -hmm. You know, don't assume you can last for another 10 minutes because maybe you can't. So there was sort of that anxiety about, ah, you know, can I really hold this? And again, obviously that's a prolapse thing. It's pushing on the bladder. Um, so, or there's pressure on the bladder. Uh, so clearly something had to be done about it. So, you know, that was something that Dr. Kimball could handle as well. You know, Mary, I think you bring up a really good point that it's not just the prolapse. We always think of it that it's just a lifestyle related issue. Um, and it really goes beyond that. When you get to the level of prolapse that you experience, it becomes a medical issue because you're not emptying the bladder appropriately. You have that urinary retention there. Left untreated, it could damage the kidneys over time. So you kind of came for intervention at the right time. Right. In fact, it was the risk to the bladder that convinced me that, wait a minute, this is not just a mechanical issue of um, irritating discomfort, not really even discomfort, just a bit of sort of awareness of something of your body that you're not normally aware of during the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but wait a minute, there are medical implications to ignoring it. And that sense also, as, as you get older, uh, things will continue the way they're going. And so clearly the prolapse would get worse. And um, when is a good time to have surgery? Uh, you know, waiting until you're 90 is probably not a good thing to do. Right. Uh, it's better to do it when you're earlier, earlier and when you're in decent health uh, mm -hmm. than later because the risks just keep going up and up and up. Absolutely. Uh, so that was also part of the decision. Uh, so the... So that was what helped me decide was really the medical implications over the longer term of the risks of ignoring it. Yes, and I thoroughly agree with that. And then when you came here, we did the consultation, examination, and one of the important studies that you underwent was what we call urodynamic studies, which really looks at the functional state of the bladder. Because we know the bladder, when it uh, gets prolapsed to that degree, there's going to be, as you call it, some medical implications of that. Um, so that allowed us to kind of really look at the functional state or dysfunction of the bladder at that point to help us kind of guide what we're going to do surgically to optimize your outcome. Yeah, and I, I found that urine function test most interesting. I mean, here's this guy who travels up and down California doing nothing but checking out people's bladders. I thought, you know, what an interesting kind of job to be doing. <laughs> it, it, it's not a job I ever knew existed, but clearly, <laughs> clearly he was highly specialized, incredibly knowledgeable, uh, understood bladders up one side and down the other and knew how to deal with all of it. I, I just thought it was so interesting. Yeah, so um, Mary here is referring to our nurse who performs these studies mm -hmm. before surgery. Yes. Yeah. So, so he was very interesting to talk to about, you know, what he did and how he did it and why he did it and how he got into it. Yeah. Um, all of that kind of stuff. So I found that very interesting as well. Um, and so the results of that 
clearly led Dr. Kimball to say, yeah, you know, we need to move forward on this and um, set the whole surgery thing up. Now, I've never had surgery. I've never been in hospital in my life, never broken anything. So to me, hospitals are kind of alien places. Um, and uh, not somewhere that I wanted to spend a lot of time. Uh, so, you know, there was a fair amount of nervousness about this whole thing, about what it meant, you know, anesthetic, uh, you know, and then you think about, well, how did my parents react if they did something? And my mother many years ago had some surgery and there was some trouble emerging from the anesthesia. And so then you get anxious about, oh, will it go okay? Will I emerge okay? Oh, you know, what do I need to be nervous about? Uh, I think that's just half of the course that you kind of worry about these things. Um, but uh, the anesthesiologist was terrific. Uh, clearly, again, um, knew what he was doing. Uh, because the the surgery, I showed up at six in the morning for the surgery. Uh, eight o'clock, as far as I know, the surgery started. By that point, I didn't know what time of day it was. Uh, and as far as I know, I emerged around about 11.30ish or so from the surgery. I do remember waking up around about one o'clock already in the hospital room where I uh, stayed. and. Uh, went off to sleep, had a wonderful two hours of sleep. It felt deep and restful and just terrific. And then at three o'clock, I kind of shot awake, uh, felt fully alert, fully focused, totally conversational, um, said hello to all the nurses and my head felt wonderful. It's kind of like, wait a minute, you know, did I even get any anesthesia? I no grogginess, no after effect no nothing, that sense of being really with it. And so that was great. And um, I don't think I worried about the pain, but I didn't know what the pain was gonna be. And it was kind of like, where is the pain? Hmm, I don't know. I'm not feeling a whole bunch of pain here. So what's happening? And you know, it wasn't that there wasn't any pain, uh, but that was, very localized and more like a kind of like a little stabbing spot when I moved around. It wasn't floods of pain throughout my body, leaving me gasping for air or anything like that. It was just kind of, well, you know, if you move a little too sharply, well, something's going to go eh at you. And so you slow down and you move a little more cautiously. Um, so I was so surprised at that, that really it wasn't bad. Uh, by six in the evening, I was on my feet taking my first little walk along the hotel corridor. Um, and that was all okay. Uh, out of the hospital midday the next day. So really, um, I didn't even feel they were throwing me out. I was ready to get out of there. I didn't feel I needed to stick around. There was nothing to do and it was boring. Yeah, so, <laughs> Absolutely, Mary. Now, let me backpedal a little bit here just for our audience. So your surgery, we chose to do that robotically. So meaning small little incisions, and we kind of bring everything back and up to its normal location back essentially when you were in your late teens or 20s. 
So I, that helped with controlling some of that pain and discomfort. But I will tell you, even when we do a lot of these surgeries vaginally, patients go home, they do really well and maybe take pain medication for a couple few days and that's it. So I think, you know, what Mary's telling us here is very commonplace. What do you think? It's more common than um, the exception. So certainly a lot of people do ask that question Do especially when we approach things vaginally with very, with no incisions you can see, people ask, did I have surgery? And the proof of that is that there's no more bulge. There's nothing dangling between the legs. <laughs> so oftentimes that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. So... Right. The in this little W shape with the middle of the W being just above your belly button, yes. you know, and then down right. to the hips and then, I mean, you know, sort of down to the groin and then back up to the hips for the arms of the W. That's and right. Tiny little incisions, little half inch, less than an inch. I mean, tiny little things. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, quite amazing. So tell us about your recovery at home. You know, how long was it before you're up walking around, felt like you could do most of your normal activities? And Okay, so um, uh, the recovery was very easy. Uh, you know, I loaded up with all of the heavy duty drugs ahead of time, but ended up taking maybe three ibuprofens the first day, two the next day, one the third day, and then nothing was really needed after that. So minimal pain control needed, quite frankly. Um, so the surgery was on a Thursday, home uh, Friday midday, Saturday, I did a little 15 minute walk just um, on the flat uh, in front of my house. The next day I walked for half an hour, the, the third day for three quarters of an hour, and the fourth day back to walking for an hour in the morning. I mean, this is right after surgery. It's incredible. It's, it's extraordinary to think that, you know, I can walk that much with no discomfort, no bad after effects, no nothing, everything just felt fine. Now there are hills in my neighborhood, so I stayed away from the hills for the first few weeks. Uh, didn't want to put too much stress on the system, um, so stayed on the flat ground as far as possible, but you know, just did the hour walk and all was fine. So Mary, if, if you had a friend, a neighbor, a family member who was dealing with some degree of prolapse, what advice would you give them having gone through this journey yourself? Well, I would say that as soon as it becomes, uh, as soon as it starts impacting their awareness about how their body is functioning, where, you know, that sense of something sticking out or the, the urgent need to pee and so on, when that starts becoming a regular part of life. I say that's when somebody should head to go and do something about it um, before and not let it get to extreme. Because I think Dr. Kimball, you said that I was at stage three and there are only four stages. Correct. So, you know, clearly I was well on my way to being severe. And I suspect it's not a good idea to get there. And just to touch on that, since we're on the um, conversation of stages. When we talk about prolapse, most patients present at about stage two, and that's when people start to feel something at the vaginal opening, and you start to see some changes in function, but it's not so severe that it oftentimes people wait. Um, so stage two is usually when we see that most commonly. Yeah, absolutely. 
then Mary, tell us a little bit about how your husband kind of reacted to you having surgery, knowing that you've never had surgery before, because there has to be some level of anxiety on his part too. Right, right. I mean, um, uh, he's a very caring, concerned kind of person, was very anxious about all, way, way more anxious, I think, than I was <laughs> at some level. You know, I'm, I'm a glass half full, he's a glass half empty person. <laughs> Together, you're complete. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, so I tend to sort of sail along thinking things are going to work out. They'll be just fine. We don't have to worry too much. You know, Um, we'll figure it out if we need to when we get there. And he's much more of a worry wart about this could go wrong or that could go wrong. I mean, not that he was verbalizing it, he was being very good about that. You know, he wasn't um, driving up my level of anxiety. But uh, he insisted on being with me at every visit with Dr. Kimball before and after surgery. He wanted to be sure that he knew everything about it, you know, that uh, understood what it was all about, could ask all the questions that he wanted to ask. So he wasn't just sort of staying home and saying, you go deal with it. He was very much part of being there. He's a good partner. He sounds like a partner. Yes. I thank you tremendously for sharing this journey with us. Um, you know, we, we feel privileged as surgeons to be part of this and to be able to offer our skill set to be able to correct a prolapse and get you back to living a much better life than you were before. Right. Because right now, um, it's such a relief to not feel that constant pressure, you know, of a slip tampax kind of feeling. It's so lovely not to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that um urgency for urination has faded uh, substantially you know I now know if I'm running around town ah you know okay I can wait till I get home or whatever I don't have to go rushing off and finding the nearest Starbucks or something um, <laughs> uh, you know I can I can relax and, and it's so much easier and um, there's the comfort that says okay this is now dealt with I don't have to worry about it for the rest of my life. All is well. Things will stay healthy. We're so happy to hear that. Absolutely. That's our goal for you too. Definitely. You have surgery with us. So kind of on a final note, uh, Mary, what would you tell our audience about your experience with the Kimballs? Well, I tell you one of the things I like best is that um, Dr. Kimball never seemed rushed in talking to us. You know, some doctors, when you meet with them, you have the sense of, oh, you know, they've got three minutes for you and off they have to go. I felt he was willing to sit and answer all the questions I had. As long as I had any questions, uh, he was there, seemed relaxed as if he had nothing more to do with his time than sit there and respond to anything I might think of asking him. So I really appreciated that. That really gave me a sense of um, his focus on my personal health. So that was one of the aspects I liked really well. Uh, There was one time, I think after the second follow-up visit after surgery, I had a couple of questions. I called the office. He got back with me promptly, answered my questions again. You know, so really that sense of he's there, he's paying attention, he's listening, um, and he's hearing what I personally have to say and my concerns. Great. Well, thank you, Mary, very much. Uh, We sincerely appreciate you joining us on this podcast. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you back in the office to make sure you stay as healthy as you are today. Right.
No? Well, thank you very much. I mean, I'm really pleased. And all my friends are just blown away by this. You know, they have people who went through traditional um, uh, surgery uh, 20, 30 years ago for hysterectomy. And, you know, they were laid, down, laid out for six weeks, couldn't drive and so on. So they are just amazed at how quick and easy this has all been. Oh, that's good. We're going to keep it that way. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're sharing your story so yeah. that a lot of people who suffer from this problem could feel inspired sort of by your courage and your trust and take the step um, they need to kind of feel, start feeling better. Okay. Well, okay. thank you very much. Well, Bye. thank you, Mary. You have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Vagina Talk Podcasts. If you want to learn more, you can find us on our web, www.kimballcenterforpelvicwellness.com. See you next time. Bye.